Welcome to the Masterstones podcast, where we talk with jewelry retailers from across the country about the challenges of running their business and how they succeed. I'm your host, Nick Gurney. Welcome to the Masterstones podcast. Today, I am joined by Annie Daniels, the manager of Duke's Jewelers. Uh, Annie, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you here. Hello. I am so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. Now, in the Masterstones podcast, we talk to retailers from all over the country to understand a little bit more about their business, a little bit more about how they manage their jewelry store and maybe the impacts of the world today and how it affects their store. But before we dive into all that, Andy, do you want to tell me a little bit about Dukes and and what makes you unique? Sure. Uh, Yeah, Dukes was founded in 1948 by Melvin Duke, who was local to Springville, Utah. And it's a third generation business now. So the owner, Richard Holmes, he has been there since he was 10 years old. He's 65 now. He's a master jeweler, goldsmith and a gemologist through GIA and AGS and just the best guy to work for. And I've been working at Duke's Jewelers for five and a half years now and just been manager a little over one year. It's awesome. It's awesome to be a part of a staple in the community, to have been there for so long, to have people trust you with precious heirlooms. It's it's awesome. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And what you described there is, is I think, one of the best things about the industry that we get to work in, right, is that we tend to be multi-generational businesses. It's a very relationship-driven business. And I love that you touched on those points because, to me, that's what makes it special. That's what makes it fun. Yeah. So that's really, really cool. Duke started in 1948. It's been, I mean, that's a lot of years now. Mm-hmm. And you say it's a staple in the community. Tell me a little bit more about the community it's in and, and you know, ways that you guys participate in that. That's something I think that a lot of jewelers do that they don't maybe talk about together and ways that they can help their business. Richard's awesome. Anytime like the 4-H club asks for a donation for an auction or the Chamber of Commerce needs something to give away at Art City Days, we like to participate like Springville is Art City, and they did an art festival this year, and we participated by doing face painting. And it's just anytime Richard can help the community. In past years, we've sponsored like the Miss Springville Mapleton pageant. And everyone goes, go to Duke Jewelry. That's where you go to get your tiara for the pageant. And that's where my grandma got her wedding ring. It's just, it's awesome. Generational. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I really, really like that, uh, you know, when you lean into your community, right, it can help your business. It's a very organic way of reminding people of who you are and where you are, right? Because when you've been around that long, everybody knows who you are, right? But it's still important to remind them to come and visit you and to come see your store, right? Sometimes I think when you get that kind of like baseline of traffic that you'd expect because you've been around so long, you have to remind yourself to get creative and still go out there and get business, right? Mm -hmm. That's the type of stuff that can help you grow and help you succeed. So I love that. Especially because the town uh-huh. over is saturated with jewelers. It's a university okay. town and uh-huh. everyone's getting engaged all the time. But we're seeing more and more clients that are driving past that town to our uh-huh. town to get a little bit more personalized care. So sure, there's a little thing I thought to add in there. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I love that you pointed that out. You know, it, it, And again, so many jewelers are going to think, okay, well, this is my position because I've been in this area for so long, this is just kind of how it is. And the only improvements I'm going to see are marginal with that, right? But you can get creative, right? <clears throat> There's no reason why you can't explore expanding your business, even if you've been around for so long. So I think that's a great point. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, we're seeing some things in the economy now that we haven't seen in a long time. 
you know, we're looking at this recession dead in the you know eyes, and we're, we're trying to decide how is this going to affect us? How are we going to react to it? Have you seen any effects of the economy of late in your store, either positive or negative? I would say more positive than negative. I think our benefit is, you know, for two, three hours south, there aren't any other jewelers. And so we get the people who don't have anybody near them. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, it's across the board. Jewelers across the nation had record-breaking years in the last two years. And we were no exception. This is the best we have ever done. But I do expect, as people are allowed to travel more, there's not any restrictions much anymore with COVID, they're going to be traveling instead of buying jewelry or, you know, whatever other things they weren't able to do during the pandemic. So as of right now, we haven't seen the effects. People are still coming to us. People are still getting married. People are still celebrating mm -hmm. anniversaries and birthdays. So as of yet, we haven't seen total effects, I think, of where the economy is going, but the guess is to refer to your numbers from 2019 as what maybe you're going to see this year, but who knows? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Everybody for the last few years, it's all up into the right. What are you talking about? Uh -huh. Things might go down. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, you know, and that's, I think that's an important reminder that it's something that we do have to plan for. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't yeah. just ignore it. And you know what, if we do plan for it and it ends up working out better than we thought, great. But it's better to do that than to ignore it and think that we're going to see another 2022, 2021. I mean, that might mm -hmm. not be the case. So I think that's really good insight. Mm -hmm. How about in buying trends, Annie? I mean, are you seeing anything change within consumers and what they're buying? And, you know, it, something as simple as, as a, you know, gold choice, right? Or, or, or are you seeing like certain styles that are in or going out? What, what kind of trends are you seeing at your store? I will say in the last two months, three months, we have sold more lab-grown diamonds in like such a small amount of time than we have probably ever. It's usually been a pretty good mix, 50-50. Some people, you know, value the rarity and romance of a natural diamond, and some people like the price point to get a bigger stone in a lab-grown diamond. But we have seen like consistently people choosing lab-grown, which I don't blame them because you know, it was a status thing to be able to say, I have a two carat, I have a three carat diamond. And the regular Joe like me would never have been able to dream about having a two carat diamond. So having a lab grown diamond available is an awesome choice for people. And it also helps like diamond cutters have employment mm -hmm. when there's not as much resources of a natural diamond, you know? So what we've been seeing sure. a lot lately are lab grown diamond sales and white gold's made a little bit of a comeback. I've noticed okay. that in the last like 10 engagement rings we've done have been white gold, which I'm a yellow gold girl. I will always be a yellow gold girl, but it's interesting to see what preferences people have. And rose gold's come back a little bit, but rose gold is very trendy. It's very up and down. It's never consistent. Sure. sure. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting, especially the comments on lab grown. I mean, that's, that's definitely the, it's, it's the talking point in the industry, right? Mm -hmm. You know, lab grown versus natural. And, and you've got a whole spectrum of stores, right? Stores that refuse to sell it, touch it, look at it, think about mm -hmm. it, all the way to those stores who who specialize in it, right? And, and focus entirely mm -hmm. on lab-grown. What do you think the future of lab-grown is? Do you think that it's here to stay? Do you think that the stores on the other side ignoring it are going to get their way? What's kind of your opinion on that? It's absolutely here to stay. And it's hard because, yeah, there's uncertainty about the value. There's uncertainty about, you know, what it'll be worth and the reputation it'll have. But 
they're only going to continue to make more as the equipment becomes available to make more, which, I don't know, might set natural diamonds apart and give them a little bit more, I don't know if reputation is the right word, but people will, you know, be able to look to that as unchanging and, mm-hmm. you know, th- it'll never go, but lab-grown, if anything, we're only going to see more of them. The way that I look at it is like moissanite, for example, I can tell the difference. And most people, if I bring in a lab-grown diamond and a moissanite, people can tell the difference. They go, oh, this one is like obviously a diamond. You know, it's hard when Mm -hmm. you just, when you only show them a moissanite, they say, this is sparkly. I don't see a difference. Anytime I compare them side by side, they go, oh yeah, there's a big difference. And they, every time, nine out of 10 times, nine and a half out of 10 times, they will choose a lab-grown diamond over a moissanite. And they're going to only become more and more comparable in price and it's a good alternative to someone like me can't afford a three carat natural diamond on whatever day of the week in my 20s when i'm getting engaged you know so i don't think they're going anywhere yeah i actually love that you point out moissanite there because so many people are worried that it's going to take over our diamond sales right our natural diamond sales and and yeah maybe it'll impact those slightly but i think what it's going to do more is it's going to impact the diamond alternative sales right the the moissanites Mm -hmm. the cz's you know what i mean people are going to like they're going to gravitate towards lab-grown, and instead of selling a cheap moissanite that you don't really want to sell anyway, instead you'll be selling a real diamond. It might be lab-grown, but at least it's a real diamond, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's some really, really good insight. And something really important when we sell lab-grown diamonds is disclosure. There's always conversations in big jeweler forums where they're like, how can you possibly in good conscience sell something that's losing its value? But the way that I look at it is I say... This is a lab-created diamond. Now, it isn't Mm -hmm. rare because there's an abundance of them. You can Mm -hmm. make a good diamond every time. As opposed to a natural diamond, you have to go and find that in the earth that's been created for billions of years. So, of course, Mm -hmm. the thing that you can make over and over and over, perfect every single time, it's no longer a commodity. It's common. It's And so, if you just explain, hey... It could be worth 3000 today and 1500 in four years. But, I mean, it's still less than a natural diamond. So it doesn't hold sure. its value. It's not rare, but it is a diamond. It's going to last you your entire lifetime. And most people, when you give them that information, they're like, thank you so much. And they make their own decision, which is how I try to sell jewelry. Sure, sure. And then that's exactly, you just got to educate the buyer, right? You're not trying to, to fool anyone by selling them a lab-grown diamond. I don't, I don't know yeah, anyone no. that would do that in good conscience, right? And so it's, it's more about just education, helping buyer understand what decision they're making. And you know what? You, you mentioned, of course, the buyer there that's willing to save some money. There's, of course, buyers. It's jewelry. There's, of course, going to be buyers that are there for the sentimental reasons, right? For the nostalgic reasons that would never consider a lab-grown diamond. They want the natural diamond, and they should be able mm-hmm. to buy it. You know, the yeah. same way that lab-grown diamonds aren't going away, neither are natural. And people are, there's always going to be that market mm-hmm. as well, I believe. Yeah, I agree. Now, of course, being the Master Stones podcast, what about technology? What kind of role does technology play in your store? Anything in particular stand out? Anything that you try and do to set yourselves apart from others? Or are you just more of a, you know, a typical jewelry store in that front in terms of your technology? Technology, I would say we're pretty average. I mean, we have all the gemological equipment that we would need for doing appraisals, etc. Something kind of funny, we were cleaning out our basement of this 100-year-old building that we were in over COVID, and I found a Polaroid camera and Polaroids uh-huh. of jewelry 
from when, you know, in the 70s when they left their jewelry. Uh We take pictures on our computer of every piece that is left with us. And I found this Polaroid and all these Polaroids of people's jewelry. I think that's just so fun. And you know what? Having like a diamond marketplace on your computer that you can, at the click of a button, show somebody thousands of diamonds and then be able to have them the next day in your store. That is like... That is awesome. Changes the way you keep your inventory because, you know, it's expensive to keep 20 Mm -hmm. plus live diamonds, natural or lab, in your stock. And so to be able to order them and have them the next day for a customer to choose between three, send back two and choose one. Like, I think that's a big game changer. People really like the option to have variety. Sure. Yeah, I love that. I love that because you can have your livestock, right, when you want to show and compare and things like that. But one of the biggest, you know, challenges in in the jewelry industry, of course, is aged inventory. So when you're ordering all sorts of of inventory and you're hoping it sells and things like that, that can put you in a really bad spot really quick as a store. And so that's a really good point that you make. You know, these vendors we have that can ship to us overnight and have it at the store. I think that's a really, really fantastic approach. So that's a really, really good point. I'm glad you shared that. Today's episode is sponsored by Jewel360 Software. Jewel360 helps jewelry retailers manage all of the pieces of their business. It's great for managing repair work, tracking inventory in-store and online, and running all aspects of your store in a modern cloud-based solution. Jewel360 also has built-in tools for communicating with customers so you can keep them in the loop and coming back to your store. With the client book integration, you can take that one step further by integrating all of your clienteling work directly into your point of sale. With everything built into one system, it makes this process seamless and incredibly easy. Jewel360 does all this and more. For listeners of this podcast, Jewel360 is offering 25% off your startup costs. Click the link in the description or call 385-259-7029 to schedule a demo and redeem this offer. And now, back to the show. So in a similar thread, right, to technology is is marketing, right? How about marketing with your customers? Is there anything unique that you guys do? What would you say are your your best marketing channels if you're doing marketing and, you know, how do they work out for your store? Word of mouth does so much for us. And we do ads in the Daily Herald for the best of Utah Valley. We do Instagram, Facebook, social media, you know, take advantage of social media because everyone's on social media. It's not going anywhere. It is like the central focus of everybody's world nowadays. We do like postcards for specials throughout the year, you know, state sales, Black Friday, things like that. But word of mouth Definitely, you know, my mom's sister told me to come here or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That does a lot for Dukes. And we had a young couple come in to look at engagement rings just a couple weeks ago. And they said they went to a different store first that had like 13 couples looking at engagement rings. And we're a pretty Uh small storefront. The store that they went to is a similar size, a little bit bigger, but 13 couples. And they kind of stood back and were like, this is overwhelming. And then they came to Duke's and they were able to sit down with us and really get individualized attention and detail Mm -hmm. that you can't really get somewhere that's, and we're pretty busy, but you know, we have the time to sit and to evaluate what your needs are. And they just heard about us from their parents. 
their yeah. parents said, you know, I think there's a jeweler in town, Dukes. I've heard good things about them. And so yeah. they went to the town over that's saturated with jewelers and they went to those jewelers and they were overwhelmed. And then they came to yeah. us and they were like, this is night and day from what we experienced mm-hmm. at the other store, which that is our goal. That makes our heart happy when we hear that kind of yeah. feedback. Yeah. I love that. I love that because, you know, of course, there's going to be different types of jewelers all over. Right. And depending Mm -hmm. where you're at and, you know, in a college town, of course, you're going to see, you know, busy stores like that. But being able to offer like personalized, you know, attention to detail that that one on one service that people want. I mean, this is the big decision for them. Right. especially when you're talking about an engagement ring, this is, you know, a lot of the times for a lot of people, one of the first biggest purchases of their life. Right. And so they, they need the handholding. They need the help. They need the focus. Right. To feel good about what they're doing. So that's really, really good advice. Now, tell me a little bit about your relationship with vendors. You touched on it a minute ago, being able to offer, you know, loose stones overnight, that type of stuff. But yeah, tell me a little bit more about your relationship with your vendors and ways that you try and, you know, offer a, you know, a set of products that you feel really are valuable to your clientele and, you know, ways that you've seen that reception work or not work. I mean, of course, there's going to be stories where, you know, jewelers will order in a whole line and none of it sells and things like that. But any good stories for me there? Yeah, so I would say something really rewarding about working at a well-established jewelry store is Richard's been working with these same vendors for, you know, 20 plus years. And then Uh me, I've been working with them for about five years. And they understand the dance of the give and take to, you know, keep our business. And with that, if I say, hey, I have an event coming up, can you send me $20,000, $30,000 worth of inventory so I can just see if it sells during our event. They say it's coming next day. And I have a Mm -hmm, lot of really great mm -hmm. vendors that will do that for us. And we did just have an event and we sold about half of what they sent us. And it was kind of a last minute decision, but one that really worked out well for us. And, you know, to touch on like buying a whole line and not selling it. Like that's a real stress for me because I do all the purchasing. I'm the one who sits with them and I go, I like this. Is everybody else going to like this? Is this something that people are going to want to wear? Is this something they're going to want to invest in? And at the Las Vegas show, (laughs) we, we went out on a limb and we got things that we wouldn't usually get. And we got from Parlay, Boulder Opal, styles uh-huh. uh, and from legend jewelers fancy natural colored diamonds in rings and necklaces that was something we had never carried and something really different for our store and we opened actually a vintage antique estate case as well and invested in getting some nice pieces for that and then we waited <laughs> i was like uh-huh. richard was kind of like you guys i trust you whatever you think we were going to sell and so for you know the summer months are slow for everybody and and the show obviously is in june and so over the summer months i kind of went oh like did i make did i make a bad call Uh we sold all of the fancy diamond pieces we sold all of the boulder opal pieces our estate case has been nearly cleared out so it's rewarding when you take that risk and like your intuition like I am capable of doing this. I've been in the jewelry Uh industry. I know what people are asking for. So I would say if you feel like your store could benefit from branching out, trying something new, Uh maybe higher price points than you normally would do, you might bring in that clientele that has the money to spend and are looking for that like one of a kind piece. That's maybe what I would say. 
Yeah, I love that. You know, taking risk is such an interesting concept in jewelry. I actually would argue that when you stack up all the different types of retail businesses and stuff, I don't know if jewelry is at the top of the list of the of the industry that's taken the most risks, right? That's one of the downsides, right, to being established for so long is that you feel like, well, we figured it out. We'll just keep doing what we're doing. But, you know, to go in and to take some risk and to try new things, it really can help drive your store to a whole new a whole new level, right? And, you know, that's a great example that you shared right there at the end. Try carrying a different price point, right? See how consumers react to it. And, you know, there's ways to mitigate that risk, of course, you know, try a few things on memo or, you know, something along those lines to try and make sure that you're not going to put your store in a bad place, but try new things, right? So that's really great. Andy, another thing I want to chat with you a little bit about. So on the Master Stones podcast, we have all sorts of different retailers here. We also have a lot of different people from different roles within the industry, right? Whether they're a store owner, a store manager, an employee, whatever else it is. Now, you've worn the hats, right, of a store employee. You've worn the hats of a store manager. Is there any advice specifically for anyone in your role or similar that you've learned a little bit over the years and you could help share with them, anyone new in the industry, that type of thing? I think that's a lot of the people who listen to this podcast. And so I'm sure they'd love hearing from you and a little bit about your journey there and maybe any advice you have for them. Yeah. So I started working in jewelry when I was 18 years old. I was a hostess at a restaurant. I had just moved to the state and I was also working at an animal hospital and, you know, just jobs to get by. The Uh manager of the jewelry store that I work at now came into the restaurant where I hostessed to order lunch and just started talking to me. And she said, how many hours a week do you work here? And I said about 20, but I have another job. I work about 20 hours there. And she said, well, we just had a position open up at the jewelry store. Would you be interested? Which I was like, I don't know anything about jewelry, but this sounds cool. Uh My dad worked in jewelry in college. And I said, yeah, but I don't know anything about jewelry. And she said, that's okay. We'll teach you everything that you need to know. I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. So I went in and I interviewed and they hired me, which I was so surprised because I didn't really have a thing growing up. I didn't play sports. I mean, I did, but if I wanted to continue to play them, I had to pay for them myself. And if I had to pay for them myself, I had to have a job. And if you have a job, you can't play sports. So it was just one Uh of those things. uh I didn't really have a thing. And then when I graduated and I moved out, when I was going to plan to go to college, I was taking a year to get residency so I could get in-state tuition. And I was like, I'll go to school for American Sign Language. I don't know ASL. And so anyway, she gave me that opportunity because she saw how I could work with people. And oh my gosh, that changed my life. It gave me something passionate. I remember the first day I was working, somebody came in and they said, I'm looking for a white gold band. And I said, what's what's white gold? I knew silver. I didn't know what white gold was. Um, Uh Anyway, and so as I started to learn more about gems and about diamonds, I loved I loved everything I was learning. And I was like, how cool is this? I get to play with loose diamonds. And then I left Dukes for about, well, I worked part time. I went for 11 months to work at a call center because on paper it was more consistent hours, higher Mm -hmm. pay hourly with like PTO and insurance. And I was like, this is going to be better for me. Oh my gosh, it was miserable. And I would still Uh go to Dukes on my days off, just random days they needed covered or that I could come in and, and work. And then around the holidays, you know, 11 months later, I came back and the manager was like, you should come back. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. I don't. And and then that day I made a six thousand dollar sale, which for Uh me, you know, I'd only made one of those before. Uh And I did it all by myself. And I was like, I'm good at this. Like, I Uh can do this. And then I quit that other job and I kept with Dukes and then. 
I started to make relationships with people. People started to seek me out. They'd say, is Annie in mm -hmm. today? And they trust me to repurpose their great grandma, grandma's ring and their wedding ring all into one ring. And as those relationships start to grow, you know, I started to find value in like what I was doing. Like this is one yeah. of the few industries you get to see, you know, weddings, birthdays, anniversaries, funerals, in deaths uh -huh. in the family, ways to memorialize people who have passed on. And for like the first time in my life, I had kind of a realization like, oh, like this is what it feels like to be passionate about something. Uh -huh. And then uh -huh. I started pursuing my education and I, I have my graduate diamonds diploma from GIA and working toward my GG. And um, like looking back five years ago, I was so lost. Like I didn't have a purpose or a plan. And now like I have a career that I would want to do for the rest of my life. And I don't yeah. know if this answers your question. <laughs> I went on uh -huh. a little rant there, but when, when you work in the jewelry industry and you're able to make connections with people and relationships where people trust you, that is like one of the few, like few things compare in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like that is mm -hmm. one of the most things I value the most in my experience. Yeah, I love that. I think that's so fantastic. I think sometimes we struggle to step away, right, from the career we've made and take a look, you know, at the changes we've made and the person we've become. Mm -hmm. And, you know, jewelry, it's so relationship driven that there's so much to be had in terms of meaning, in terms of, you know, value that you attribute to your life in, in this industry. I mean, you're exactly right. You said it there in the, at the beginning, you know, how lucky am I to get to play with loose diamonds all day, right? And sometimes we get so caught up in the day-to-day -day work, right, that we have to do that we forget that it is an incredibly lucky industry that we get to work in. And so I love that. And I, I think that, you know, th those listening and tuning into the podcast, right, to understand that there is still growth to be had, right, still changes to be made. Because even when you started, it sounds like you weren't like, you know, set, you hadn't made that decision yet. But as you know, things progressed, you know, you, you really learned and found your passion. I love that. I think that's fantastic, Annie. Well, we really appreciate having you on. It's been fantastic getting to chat with you for these last few minutes. Really quick before we end, Annie, can you share with us a little bit more about where people can find Dukes, your website, and, and they can reach out to you if they'd like to? Mm -hmm, yeah, uh, Dukes Jewelers Utah on Instagram, Dukes Jewelers on Facebook, DukesJewelers.com. We have all of our inventory on the website, as well as a chat bubble if you need to get a hold of us. You can purchase straight from the website. We have all of our diamond and gemstone inventory available for you to look at. And don't hesitate to reach out if there's if there's any questions or anything. I've had a lot of fun. I hope I haven't rambled too much, but it's a lot of fun to talk about jewelry. It's something that people can't get me to stop talking about. So I'm grateful for the opportunity. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, Annie. Have a good day. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Masterstones podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review to let us know what you think. For more interviews with business owners, visit jewel360.com slash interviews where you'll find transcripts, show notes, and videos for all of our episodes.